growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. If we could hear her voice, we would hear it in her voice. She's given up. This is it. She's just resigned herself to the fact that this is the end of our lives. We're going to eat this last piece of bread, and that will be it. Suppose you were in a situation where you were down to your last $20. You're just about to go out and buy the last food you can for your family to eat, and a total stranger comes up to you and asks you to give the $20 to him instead. But he promises that if you do, God will make sure you continue to have enough money every day to buy food for your family. What would you do? Would you give the money to him in faith or tell the man to keep walking? It is on the road of life that you find out whether your faith is real or fake. It is in the performance of your faith that you figure out whether this thing is real or not. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. I'm certainly not telling you to give your money away to anyone that asks. And that little scenario I just described to you may sound a little far-fetched, but it's actually a true story from the Bible. In 1 Kings chapter 17, a prophet by the name of Elijah meets a woman for the first time. She is in desperate financial shape. She is in crisis. In fact, she and her son are on the brink of starvation. What happens next? Well, let's just say that the woman's faith would be stretched in a way she has never seen before. Faith produces an action. That's what we have to understand. Faith produces an action or it's not a faith. You understand? It's not real faith if it doesn't produce a real action. If you were with us last week, you may remember that Pastor Clay set the stage for this week's message by showing us that nothing is too hard for God. This week, he's going to show us how believing God with our finances opens the door for God to bless us in many ways. Everyone struggles in financial crisis at times, but the Word of God promises that if we have faith in God and take action with that faith, We will never have to worry about a financial crisis again. Now, here's Pastor Clay. We are in the midst of talking about what it is to be alone, what it is to face something alone, uh, some circumstance, some situation, some whatever the case may be. And we're looking at that through the experience of a biblical character, something that Uh, individuals in Scripture faced alone, uh, what we can learn from them, uh, sometimes they got it right, sometimes they got it wrong, Uh, we can learn from both of that, right? We can can learn from people's victories, but we can learn from people's defeats, can't we? Hopefully learn from some of our own defeats um, and and how to to move forward in in that sort of thing. But we are, uh, as I said uh, a moment ago, uh, we started this last week when we met down in the cafeteria for Thanksgiving kind of day service and uh, what it is to be alone in a financial crisis, a financial uh, need, a financial or, or material uh, need in your life. And as I said last week when I introduced this, many of you, the look on your face was more like, uh, you know, that, that's my entire life is a financial crisis. I, I live from one financial crisis to another. Maybe crisis might sound like a bit of a, overly dramatic uh, term. There are times when we literally feel like it's a crisis, but, but maybe just the, just the pressure of the bills and the, and the responsibilities and the how am I going to pay for this and that kind of stuff that we, that we tend to live with on a daily basis and looking at the fact that we seem to uh, run out of uh, numbers in our bank account before we run out of numbers of days in the month. Y'all know what I'm saying? Y'all can y'all relate to that? And it's like, oh, geez, how, well, maybe I can take some of this and put it over here and somehow get through to the next month. Has that ever happened to any of y'all or is it just, 
Yeah, right? So, uh, and I made this uh, pretty uh, bold uh, statement uh, last week. And I, what I said was that uh, you can come to the place where you never have to worry that if you will hear what God's Word has to say and you will implement it into your life, you will never, ever have to worry about a financial crisis in your life ever again. Right? That's a pretty good sounding statement. And I did go on to clarify that I'm not saying that we will never have financial concerns in our life uh, because uh, things come up. God has purposes. God's stretching us. Remember, I talked about spiritual stretch marks. God's stretching us. He's trying to, he's trying to get us. It, it's, it's more than just the money for God. It's more about what he's trying to teach us about trust in him, and that's where we're going in today's uh, message. So I, I, I'm not saying that you will, that, oh, well, he says if I just do what the Bible says, that, that my bank account, I'll always have an extra five grand in my bank account and everything's covered. It's not what I'm saying. What I am saying, though, is that you don't have to worry. And I think that's, I hope that that's where you want to get, because that's where we live. That's the stress, the, the, uh, the, the, the laying awake at night, the, the inability to, to just let it go and put it down for a few minutes and just, you know, living with that constant tension that there's just not enough to pay all the bills. Am I right? Anybody relate to that? Okay, and so uh, we are in 1 Kings Chapter 17, I won't read it again, but we read last week, I won't read verses 1 through 6 again. We read that last week, and we started with this single uh, idea. We had some things off of that, but we started with a single idea that you have to start with the knowledge that nothing is too hard for God. That's where you have to start. It's just, it's just, um, it's just building that mental uh, fortress in your mind that you come to understand that, well, you know what? Nothing's too hard for God. It's just not. He just, he's God. That's, that's, that's why you spell his name with a big G. I mean, he's, he, he's God. Nothing is too hard for him. And he handled everything. We looked at this amazing story in uh, verses 1 through 6 and how God made this provision, right, for, for, Elijah, for his prophet by the name of Elijah. Okay? So uh, today I want to pick up off of that idea um, because I want to I move on from it. I want you to understand that, that, okay, I start with this idea, nothing is too hard for God. I'm, 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 I'm putting that stake down on the ground. I'm going to remind myself when it looks impossible, when it looks like nothing can happen, there's no way to get through this, I'm going to remind myself nothing is too hard for God, no matter what it is. And by the way, it's not just financial, right? I mean, we're, we're looking at a financial or a material need in First Kings 17, but it's not just that. It would apply to any area of your life. It would, it would apply to your relationships. It would r- apply to uh, uh, work situations or family or uh, physical, wh- whatever it is. That, that it's understanding nothing is too hard for God. I don't always understand how God is going to work or when God is going to work or that sort of thing. But I, I know that nothing is too hard for God. So here's where we're going to pick up or move forward on this today. And it is this. We're going to move forward with the faith that shows that nothing is too hard for God. I, I start with, with this, with put, like I said, putting this mental stake down, if you will, this spiritual stake. Start putting this stake down by saying nothing is too hard for God. God can do it. And, and I know that God can do it. Now I have to move forward with the faith that shows that nothing is too hard for God. I want to read it, the text to you. We're going to pick it up in verses 7. Uh, through verse 16 uh, to this point of, uh, f- of 1 Kings chapter 17. The story of Elijah and a, and a widow woman 
uh, just not, and we don't, as I said last week, we don't even know her name. She's just known as the widow of Zarephath. You ready? It happened after a while. And, and by the way, if you weren't here last week, I strongly suggest you go back when you get a chance. Listen to last week's message or watch it on, on YouTube or something. Because uh, it, last week's message really, as I said last week, kind of sets the table for this. Um, and, and I think it would help you. Uh, if you picked up that verses 1 through 6. It happened after a while that the brook dried up. Because there was no rain in the land. If you remember the brook that God sent Elijah down to, to hide out from, from wicked King Ahab and to provide naturally for his need for water, right? The brook dries up in verse 7. And then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and stay there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to provide for you. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, "Uh, Please, give me a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called to her and said, "Uh, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. But she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I am gathering a few sticks that I may go in and prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. And then Elijah, verse 13, then Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me. And afterward, you may make one for yourself and for your son. For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bowl of flour shall not be exhausted, nor shall the jar of oil be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain on the face of the earth. And so she went and did according to the word of Elijah, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The bowl of flour was not exhausted, nor did the jar of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke through Elijah. We just read uh, verses 7 through 16, and as you can see, uh, in, in, if we as read through that story, that uh, challenges are always coming, right? There's, there's always new challenges uh, coming. Elijah, uh, if you're here last week, he pronounces to Ahab, because of the wickedness you've brought on this land, uh, there will be no rain on this land until I say the word, uh, and, and until God gets your attention, gets the attention of the, of the people of Israel who are turning away from God. And so God sends uh, uh, Elijah out uh, to this, this creek, this brook, uh, called the Cherith, and he hangs out there. And we saw last week that, that it just demonstrates to us that God can provide naturally for us and God can provide supernaturally for us. It makes no difference to God. He uses a very natural means of water, this brook, this creek, and he uses birds that fly in twice a day uh, to uh, drop in bread and meat. That had to be a cool sight. I'm just telling you. I'm just, I'm just saying it had to be a cool, cool sight. So, uh, uh, Twice day does. So God uses natural and he uses supernatural. It makes no difference to God. He can do it regardless. It, just, it doesn't matter to him. Uh, and, and what we end up seeing, though, as we move on into verse 7, is that the natural resource, the creek, dries up, right? It dries up. Because remember, there's been no rain. And so eventually the ground, you know, whatever's in the ground, it begins to, it's used up. And so the creek runs dry. Now, I think we could all agree that it doesn't have to. The creek doesn't have to run dry if God doesn't want it to. I mean, if, if God can, can have uh, ravens uh, airdrop in uh, bread and meat twice a day, every day, super, supernaturally, 
then he can supernaturally keep that creek flowing if he wants to do that, right? And as a matter of fact, I would argue that if God's primary concern was our uh, physical, material needs being met, now stay with me, I would argue that if God's primary concern were our physical and material needs being met, then it would make sense that he would do that. It would make sense to me that he will just just keep the creek flowing because then uh, Elijah can stay right there and he's he's safe, he's protected from Ahab. But, and we, we don't like to hear this, but God's primary concern is not our our material, physical comfort. It, 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 and I'm sure the, the health, wealth, and prosperity guys don't want to hear that. And, and really, to an extent, none of us want to hear that. None of us want to hear that God's primary concern is not my material need, my comfort being met. Because somehow, we, it, it, it makes us feel good to know that, that God's, you know... Meeting all of my, my comfort, all of my needs. He's providing for my family. Uh, somehow it, it makes us sleep better at night knowing that God's on the job, so to speak. But listen, that kind of, of thinking is not only idolatrous, quite honestly, because, it, because it, it focuses and puts the center on us instead of on God. It, it is not only uh, idolatrous, But it also, I believe, has raised up a generation of professing followers of Jesus who know know nothing about what it means to suffer for Christ. This idea that, well, God's got to keep me comfortable. God's got to, you know, make sure that I'm... So, no, I said this last week. I'll say it again, and and it's absolutely true. God is not going for easier in your life. God is going for faith in your life. That that's that's just honestly how it is. And we may not like it, but that, that's how it is. And so you may not like the way that looks, but it's the truth. And listen, you, you, may not, you may like this even less, but let me just say this to you as well. Sometimes God has to let some creeks dry up in our lives. Sometimes God has to, has to let you not get the job or lose the job or not get the promotion or not make the deal. Why? Because he's going for something more than than a full stomach or a fat bank account. He's going for faith in our lives. He's going for faith. And so, and so sometimes he has to let some creeks dry up in our lives in order to move us forward. That's what we're saying, move us forward in faith. Elijah goes down to a place called Zarephath. He goes down, and listen, we could talk about Elijah. We could talk about this demonstration of faith that, that even when you had, because he's probably become pretty comfortable there at the creek. You know, living out there and water and food and everything supplied, and he's he's doing good. Uh, he's probably pretty, so we could talk about his his faith and moving forward and going down to Zarephath. But it's this it's this woman, it's this widow that I want to focus on for a few moments this morning. Elijah goes down there uh, on on the urging of God. God says, "You know, you're done here. Now I'm taking you down to Zarephath, um, and where, where I've arranged for a widow to meet your your basic needs of food, water." shelter. By the way, when the text says in verse 9 that God had, had commanded a widow to meet his provisions, that doesn't necessarily mean that the widow was aware at that point that God was going to use her to meet Elijah's needs and her own family's needs. Matter of fact, based on the conversation that goes on between her and Elijah, at least initially, I would argue that she didn't have a clue about this, this divine supply line at this point. 
Because Elijah comes into town and there's this woman right at the gate of the city. And that's, you know, and she's walking around. She's picking up sticks, right? She's picking up sticks because she's going to go make a fire. So she's gathering up a a few sticks. And Elijah apparently uh, knows or strongly suspects that this is the woman that God is going to use to meet his need. Or maybe he doesn't know. Maybe he's going to find that out by the question that he's going to ask her and how she responds to those questions. Because he's going to ask her some bold stuff. He asked her for a drink of water. He starts out by asking her for a drink of water, right? And remember, water's in pretty short supply at this point. So it was, it was no small thing that he was asking for. And in what I believe is a, 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 a fantastic gesture of hospitality and compassion, she turns to go get him a cup of water. And as she's going, uh, he kind of says, oh, oh, and by the way, well, why don't you bring a piece of bread too? And her response to that question gives us a clue of just how desperate things have become in her life. She says, I, 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 don't, I don't have any bread. I don't have any bread at, at all. As a matter of fact, that's, that's what I'm doing out here. I, I'm gathering up uh, some sticks to go home and make a fire. I, I, got a, I got a little bit of flour left. I got, a, I got just a little bit of oil left. And I'm going to go home. I got enough to make one bread cake for me and my son. I'm going to bake that cake. We're going to eat it. And then we're going to sit down and get ready to die. In other words, that's it. There's, there's nothing left. There's nothing left. There's no, there's no governmental assistance programs. There's no rescue missions. There's no food pantries. There's no uh, credit cards that she can at least go out and charge something on to keep. There's nothing left. And I know, we can't, I know we can't hear her voice, but I'm telling you, if we could hear her voice, we would hear it in her voice. That she, She's given up. This is it. That she's just resigned herself to the fact that this is the end of our lives. We're going to eat this last piece of cake... This last piece of bread, and, and that will be it. Right? Now, the truth is, none of us are probably on the brink of starvation, as this widow woman was. But we face our, our financial obstacles. We face that adversity that comes into our lives. And you come to moments where you have to make some decisions, where you have to decide whether you're going to, to move forward or not in your faith. And Elijah uh, says, uh, listen, don't, don't be afraid. Go ahead. But why don't you, as you go, make me a cake of bread first. Bring it out to me. And then you can go back and fix one for you and your son. <laughs> now, listen, now. It's, I, I've never been on the brink of starvation. So I, I can't even imagine what's going through this mo- woman's mind at this moment. Other than, you know, probably something like, dude, I, I know that you've obviously traveled a long way. I'm sure you're tired. I'm sure you're hungry. I'm pretty sure you're a bit delirious because did you hear what I just said? I said, I've got a little bit of flour. I got a little bit of oil. I got enough to make one cake, one cake. I'm going to bake one cake and my son and I are going to eat it. And then we're going to wait to die. And then Elijah sets up what I call a sea versus say moment. A see versus say moment, ladies and gentlemen. There are moments that all of us face in life at times. You've had them, whether you called it that or not. A see versus say moment. What I see versus what God says. Am I going to believe what I see with my eyes or or am I going to believe what God says? And in verse, in this case, in verse 14, God says this, for this is what the Lord God of Israel says. 
The jar of flour will not be empty and the jug of oil will not run out until the day the Lord makes it rain on the surface of the ground. See versus say moment, right? What does she do? What does she do? Do, do, do I, I mean, she just met this guy, right? Does she go home and fix that bread and give it to her and her son? Because that would be the, that would be the instinctual thing to do, right? I mean, my son is sitting here on the brink of starvation. Do, do I, do I, do I bake this last little bit of, of flour that's in my jar? And this is it. That's it. That's it. And this guy just came into town and he says that if I'll, if, if I'll, if I'll bake a cake for him first, thus says the Lord, he invokes the name of God in this. He says, if, 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 I'll, if I'll take this last little bit of flour and this last little bit of oil and if I'll use it to bake a cake and give it to him first, he says that this jar will actually not run out. See versus say moment. That's... That's what you end up with. And that's what you and I face in our lives at times, right? Like I said, you may not be starving to death, but you have your see versus say moments. You have those moments where you either have, where you're looking, right? I mean, she's looking, she's looking at this jar. She's looking at it. She can see how much is not in here. But God says it won't run out. That's the moment you decide whether you're going to move forward in faith or not. I, I, uh, I love cars, a bit of a car guy. Uh, I do enjoy uh, cars and trucks and that sort of thing. And those of you who are a bit of car aficionados, you, you might recognize I want to show you a few cars here. Um, you know, nice looking cars. Now, if you're a car aficionado, you might know wh- what, do, what do all of these cars uh, have in common? What's the thing these, these cars have in common? Does anybody happen to know? I'm sorry, what? Yeah, yeah. They're, that's right. You, you see, they're, they're all Ferraris. Uh, you're close. Actually, they're all fake Ferraris. Every single one of them. Now, now some fakes, some fakes are easy to spot, right? I mean, sometimes you can just you can just tell right on the surface that that's it's easy to spot. It's a you know, I mean, come on, come on, really? I mean, probably probably not, you know, right? Yeah, some fakes are they're just easy to spot. I want that one. I want that one. But, but some fakes, some fakes are not as easy to spot. Some of them, when you look at them, they look like the real deal, man. I mean, that's a Ferrari all day long when I look at that thing, right? On the surface, it looks like the real deal. But you know, and you know this is true, right? It is on the road. It is on the road where you find out whether it's a real Ferrari or a fake Ferrari. It is in the performance that you figure out, is this a real Ferrari or a fake Ferrari? And the performance will reveal pretty quickly whether it's real or fake. Hey, can I just, I'm just saying, faith can kind of be like a Ferrari. Now, now some people have fake faith, and it's obvious. I mean, they, they say they believe in God, but there's no desire to honor God with their life, no, no desire to serve God with their life, no, no desire to be a part of God's uh, kingdom. Uh, they, they can say they believe in God, but, but they do not, based on the Scripture's definition of what faith is. Easy to spot. But other people's faith can look real good. I mean, they show up for church on Sunday. Maybe they, maybe they serve within the body of Christ. They, they stand up and sing the songs. 
And it's not that any of that stuff is wrong and that we shouldn't do it, but here's what I'm saying, that it is, it is on the road of life that you find out whether your faith is real or fake. It is in the performance of your faith that you figure out whether this thing is real or not real. Do you understand what I'm saying to you? So real quickly, let me, let me, let me, just, let me just give you some, some things to think about in this idea here this morning. First, faith produces an action. That's what we have to understand. Faith produces an action or it's not a faith. You understand? It's not real faith if it doesn't produce a real action. This is, a, this is the quintessential understanding of what faith is. It, it, it's not just this mental thing. It produces an action. In the case of the widow of Zarephath, in her see versus say moment, she, she has to choose an action. Either that action is to go back into her house, shut the door, lock it so the crazy man can't come around... Fix a cake of bread for her and her son and eat it and that's it. Wait to die. That's an action. Or take those sticks that she's gathered, go inside, bake that cake, bring it out to him first. Can you imagine the thing about this? Can you imagine? See, if she brings it back out to him and then she has to turn, she has to walk back towards her house where I assume her son is waiting, hungry, and where those jars are waiting, right? What's she going to find? What's the anticipation as she's walking along? Requires an action. Now, let me just be honest with you. This whole idea of doing what God says and faith taking action. I, based on the statistics, that's all I'm going by. I know I've said this, those of you who are part of Cross Culture, you've heard me say this a million times. Uh, I, other than my wife and I, I really don't have a clue what anybody gives to this church. The financial idea of giving back to God as he asks us to give. I, I, don't, I don't look at that. I don't know what it is, but I know that based on the statistical data, uh, most people struggle in this area of stewardship and giving a, a tithe, a minimum of a tenth of their income back to God. Uh, in, in it's a struggle. It's a hard. I, I said this last week. I don't know of a single area where followers of Christ struggle more than the area of financial stewardship. It, it's, just a, it's just a difficult area, right? Because, because you got your jars of flour and oil, right? It might not be actual jars of flour and oil, but it's a bank account. It's a bill list. It's a, it's a whatever. And, and, and you're looking at that and you're looking at the bills and you're looking and you're saying, that does, I, I'm, I'm looking at it. I can see this is, this is what I've got to do. This is what I've got to pay. I don't, I, don't, I don't get a pass on this. I've got to pay this. And God comes along and says something like this in Malachi chapter 3. Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse, your whole nation, for you are robbing me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven, pour out for you a blessing, that there will not be room enough to receive it. If you struggle in this area... Welcome to your see versus say moment. You see your bill list. You see what is not in your checking account that you wish was in your checking account. And God comes, not just here, but just one example. God comes along and says, listen, I'm asking you. See, now listen, if you understand, it's no different. Because it's no different than this widow of Zarephath. God's asking her to make a cake first. Did you notice that? Make it first for him. Give it to him. And then go get yours. It's exactly the same as what he asks us to do. I'm just, I'm just being honest with you. 
bring to, to the storehouse, bring, bring to the body of Christ, bring to the church, that first, what I've asked you to give first, a tithe, that most of you probably know this, the word tithe means tenth, it means ten percent. He said, bring that first, and then you go get yours. See versus say moment. Am I going to, am I going to, is my action going to be based on what I see in my account, or is it going to be based on what God says in his word? You understand what I'm saying to you folks? And listen, I've said this a bazillion times before, yes. Do I want the kingdom of God to expand? Do I want to see? Yes, all that kind of stuff. I'll say more about that in a minute. But it's God as my witness, my, my desire as your pastor. And this is, I'm very passionate about this. I, I can see, I, I can see what your lives can be if you'll believe God. Not only in the area of finances, in lots of areas, but in this area of finances that everybody struggles, so many people seem to struggle with. I can see what your lives can be. I can see what this church can be if we'll believe God for what God can do. Move forward in faith. Faith is an action. It has to be an action, or it's not faith at all. Second idea is this. Faith promotes an attitude. Not only is is it an action, faith promotes an attitude. What you'll begin to see happen in your life, if you begin to take God at his word, right? Here, this story here, the Malachi text, whatever the case may be. If you begin to take God at his word and begin to say, I'm going I'm to move forward in faith. I'm going to take action on this based on what God says. I, I know what I see, but I know what God says. I'm going to believe God for what he's trying to get, get me to in life. He's trying to help me understand faith. He's trying to put me in a position where he can bless me in my life. I'm going I'm, I'm to take God at his word. What you'll begin to see is a new attitude will develop in you, an attitude that is less concerned. I, we, listen, we all have our needs, right? We all, we do. We all have our needs and, and our wants and all that kind of stuff, but you'll begin to see a, 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 an attitude developing you where it's less about, oh, I gotta have that, or if I could just have this, or if I, that, there's this, I want to show you this passage uh, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5. He who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves abundance with its income. This too is vanity. Uh, the writer Solomon is simply saying that what you'll discover is that it, it'll never, because that, that, that's why, right? Our attitude, so much of our attitude or people's attitude can be driven by that, that materialistic, if I can just have it or just get this or just reach that or get that particular square footage or, or whatever else. And Solomon's saying it's all empty. It's all vanity. It'll never satisfy you. Some of you guys may have heard the story. I've, I've told it's been a long time since I told it, but the Rockefeller, I think J.D. Rockefeller guy, the industrial tycoon of the 19th century. At one point, he's the richest man in the world. And he was asked one time, how much is enough? I mean, at what point do you have enough? And his response is classic, just a little bit more, just a little bit more. You see, when you begin to take action, when you, when you move forward in your faith, you begin to understand that, hey, you know what, it's all right. I don't have the newest car, or I don't have the biggest, or, you know, I'm not wearing name brand whatever, but it's all right, it's okay. It's a new attitude, which then connected to that is this, this third idea, which is faith progresses, progresses and ambition then. What you'll begin to see happen, you take action, your attitude begins to change about it, and all of a sudden a new ambition will arise in your heart and in your life. A new ambition, an ambition for the kingdom of of God. That will begin to become the priority of your life. And for some of you, maybe it already is, and I, I'm, I know I'm, I'm, I'm painting with broad strokes. I'm just telling you that I know people struggle in this area. But all of a sudden, it will become about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. What's it about? And <laughs> see if y'all pay attention. Matthew chapter 6. Look at this. Matthew chapter 6. Now listen to what Jesus is saying here now. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. 
whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. And I'm telling y'all folks, that is 99% of where everybody lives right there. Isn't life more than food and your body more than clothing? Now listen, watch his argument for this. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns for your heavenly father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? You understand what he's saying? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why don't you go ahead and answer that one for yourself right now. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Oh my gosh, how am I going to, I don't know if I'm going to, how are we going to do this or do that or pay that bill or we're going to have to move or we're going to, what's going to change? And why worry about your clothing? Look at the lilies of the field and how they grow. They don't work or make their clothing. Yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. Why do you have so little faith? Where's your priority? Where, what action steps are you taking? Are they towards believing what God says or are they towards what you see? Why do you have so little faith? So don't worry about these things saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. That's why I tell you, you don't have to worry about this stuff. That's what he says, not me. Seek the kingdom of God above all else. There's the new ambition. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously and he will give you everything you need. That's, that's what he's saying, folks. Is don't, don't sweat this stuff that so consumes your mind and causes you to worry and stress and, and all that kind of stuff. I, I got all that stuff. I know you need all that stuff. All you have to do is realize that you need me in a relationship with me and you have to take action by faith in me. Do what I say versus what you see and I got everything. I got everything for you. I'll tell you as, as a personal testimony, because because here's well, the interesting thing about the Malachi text, I didn't say this earlier, but the interesting thing about the Malachi text we just looked at is at the end, this, this idea where God says to test him on it. Now, it, generally in Scripture, it's never a good idea to test God about much of anything. Uh, but this, in, this, is, this is an exception in, in the Malachi 3 text where God actually encourages us to test him in this area of financial giving. As far as I know... Somebody can check me on this, but as far as I know, this is the only place in Scripture where God does this. The only place in Scripture where he, asks, where he actually encourages us to test him is in the area of believing him for our finances and financial give, giving back to him the tithe and offerings. I, I'm telling you, Cindy and I have been testing him on this for nearly 30 years. And I'm, I'm just telling you, we have a life full of jars of oil and flour never run it, running empty stories. Because God is a God of his word. He always is. Okay, real quickly, let me, let me move on and give you, give you this idea to, to chew on as we close out this morning. Um, finish with the trust that comes from seeing that nothing is too hard for God. You start with the, with the belief that nothing is too hard for God. You move forward with the faith that shows that nothing is too hard for God. You have, that's where you get involved. You've got to take action. And then you, tr- you finish with this trust that comes from seeing that nothing is too hard for, for God. To be able to, 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 to come to the place in your life where you're like, it's cool. God's got this. This crisis may have come up. This may have happened. This may be going on. This uncertainty. But God has got this based on what he says. Not what I see, but based on what he says. So I'm going to believe him. I'm going to believe him. Just like the widow of Zarephath. I may look and it may look almost empty. 
But God says, if I'll believe him, it'll never be empty. It'll always be enough. Trust. I've asked Ernie Breedlove to come and just, just share uh, something God laid on his heart, a, a story with you this morning about, uh, well, I'll, I'll let him share it. Ernie, uh, if you'll just come and just share with the folks for a minute here. Thank you, Pastor. Um, can we go ahead and put that slide up? I've got, uh, I've got two disclaimers really quickly. Uh, one, I tend to ramble when I uh, get nervous, and I get nervous in front of you. So um, this is some lyrics from a song called Higher by the band Unspoken. So if you get nothing out of what I say, uh, concentrate on, you know, if I lose you, concentrate on those lyrics. Um, I talked to Pastor last week because he was more nervous than I thought I'd be. Um, because the, the message really spoke to me. Um, some of you may know that I've been looking for a house for at least nine years, maybe more. And I've gone through 10, uh, realtors, uh, Steve Pierce being the last one. Um, and that whole process has been one of, um, desiring my heart, but, but this story is not about me uh, because I did a lot more whining and complaining and wondering why and why not now than I did praying and trusting and believing. Um, but this house came to me and, and it's a miracle, so I wanted to explain it to you. Um, if, if some of you older folks will remember Robin Leach, you know, champagne wishes and caviar dreams. Okay. That was me. I wanted something nice. But my budget was more of a soda pop budget than champagne. Okay? Uh, Ten years ago, you know, the the real estate market was making a correction. And uh, I thought, if I'm ever going to get a house, this is the time. Because everybody decided they paid way too much for their houses and they're dumping them. And the, the government's buying them up. And it didn't happen. Everything I looked at was, you know, need some TLC. If you see that in a real estate listing, it means it's a rat trap run, okay? (laughs) Because that's the nicest thing a realtor could say about the house. Um, So just constantly turning it over and people would get impatient with me. God never did. He knew this was a desire of my heart. I found a house. Steve showed it to me beautiful house. I hope you all get to see it someday. It was right at the top of my budget. I mean, the tippy top, a dollar more in the, in the price. And I couldn't have even thought about it. Met with Steve. I told Steve, I love this house, but it was owned by Fannie Mae. Government had it repossessed. He said, it's going to be difficult. He tried to talk me out of it. I wish he was here today. He's, he's traveling this weekend. I wish he was here today. He tells this story much better. Um, but we stood on the side of the highway and prayed about that house. The reason we stood on the side of the highway is because the family beside me, my new neighbors, had lost the house. Matter of fact, the three houses beside me are all the same family. And this was like the crown jewel of that row of houses. They had put uh, chairs, signs, all kinds of things in the driveway 
to make sure you couldn't get to the house to see it. So we had to park on a highway, walk across a highway and across the yard to see the house. It had no driveway of its own. At one time, this family asked for as much as $75,000 to grant easement to go up to the house. Now, I'm already at the top of my budget. There's no way in the world I'm going to be able to pay another $75,000, which was ridiculous anyway. So I told Steve, we'll build our own driveway. We'll just put it in. I don't care if it runs down the middle of the, down the, middle of the yard right up to the front door, and you have to take a hard right to get around to the garage. I want this house. So we got contractors, and we got uh, water and sewer guys, and we got everything that we were going to need to get this house. Got them in the front yard, had a discussion about what we had to do to put me in this house. Probably going to be somewhere around, somewhere between, they said six at the beginning. We all knew that was ridiculous, what had to be done. Somewhere between twelve dollars and $20,000 would get the driveway in, water and sewer to the house, all these things that we did not have because we didn't have the easement. She saw, the, the neighbor saw on either side this meeting and wanted to know what was going on. And I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have this house. I don't know how. It's at the top of my budget. And here comes another six, eight, ten, twelve, twenty thousand $20,000. Steve and I prayed. I said, I'll let you know tomorrow. But he said, we need to get a bin in quickly. Tomorrow came and went. The next day, I called him. I said, put a bid on the house, but, but go under because we need some room there. To Steve said, well, I just got a call from the listing realtor. The house has dropped $30,000. <laughs> Golden, right? Yeah. Now, I've got my, now I've got my buffer. So we put a bid in. We, we had to fight some other people because when you drop a bid, when you drop a price like that, people come out of the woodwork. But we, we won the bid. Now we've still got the neighbors we've got to deal with. Pat, I talked to Life Group about this. Pastor is like, are you sure you want to do this? Because you got to live beside these guys. Steve will tell you, uh, he went to the house one day and along the property line, they had taken one of those uh, cans of orange spray paint right down the line from the highway all the way to the back of the lot. And on the concrete drive where I could see it in two foot letters, wrote the word fence on my driveway, on my side, fence, big orange spray paint. Steve goes out there, he sees this, he calls me, he says, we got a problem. I said, it's not a problem. He goes to the neighbors. He says, uh, they said, well, we're going to put an eight foot fence all the way down that line, right on the property line. You know, you know, Steve, most of you know, Steve. What, what did, what did Steve say? Well, thank you. That saves him the cost of having to do it himself. (laughs) I'm telling you, Steve tells this much better. Listen, long story short, we got in this house and Ms. Brown, this lovely lady, after some counsel with, uh, a couple of her neighbors decided that she needed to grant me the easement because she needed some money to take care of her mother-in-law. So we got in the house without having to dig up the front yard, uh, using the driveway that's already paved and ready. Don't have to delay water and sewer. This is all God. It's not my perseverance or patience or anything. It's all God. 
So now my responsibility is figuring out, as a steward of this new property, what God wants me to do with it. So once I get moved in, we'll talk about all of you coming over and, and, and we'll do something. But I, I just want to tell you that God, this took almost 10 years, 10 realtors, and, and me to get out of the way, basically. Thank you, Ernie. Thank you. Part of, of all of it is in our lives is that we, we actually can trust God. We can finish with this idea that I can trust God with my life, with my finance, with my whatever, but it takes an action on my part. I have to actually show that I really believe God. That's the way God set it up. Not because God needs money. He never does. But I'm just challenging you. This. Listen, I, I'll be honest with you. I said this last week. I don't like to talk about money a lot. I don't do it a lot. It seems like lately it's with this, you know, but... It's just, as God is my witness, I want the best for your life, and you will not have it unless you come under obedience to God in every area of your life, including the area of finances. And to be honest with you, I know it's going to hurt somebody's feelings, but I'm, I'm tired of tiptoeing around people's feelings. It's just the truth. Uh, stop saying that, you'll, that, that you have faith that Jesus can pay for your sins if you won't even trust him to pay for your food. You've you got to believe him, folks. At some point, you've got to step out in faith and say, God, it's all yours. It all belongs to you. I know what I see, but I know what you've said, so I'll choose to believe you. Let me give you statistics, and then based on the statistics, the high number, I just, I just got to show you all this because I know this is an area of struggle for a lot of people. The high number is 8 to 10% of professing Christians practice the biblical command to tithe. It's clearly a biblical command. Anybody wants to argue with me about that, please come up afterwards, and I'll be happy to discuss it with you. We get together, have lunch or whatever, but uh, the high number is 8 to 10%. But that's not the number I want you to focus on. Here's the number I want you to focus on. Because if that number is correct, then it means that 90% of God's people are living in disobedience to him. 90% of God's people are living in disobedience. If, if he has clearly said, this is what I want you to do as an act of faith so that you can learn to trust me and so that I can put you in position to bless you. If this is what he said, but I'm believing what I see. Now, listen, it could be there's somebody that just, just could be a hard heart issue. I don't, yeah, I don't care what God's word says. I'm not giving up 10% of my money. I'm not giving up any of my money. It's, I'm just not going to do it. That's fine. I can't. God has to deal with our hearts and where they are. I'm just saying for most of you that struggle in this area, it's probably based on fear. Fear that, that you'll run out of paycheck or, or you won't have enough to pay bills. And it's a see versus say moment. That's, that's all it is. It's a see versus say moment. Do you believe what you see with your physical eyes or do you believe what God says? God's asking you to take a step of faith in obedience to him. And I've said this, I keep saying it the rest of my life. God blesses obedience and that's the only thing he blesses. It really is. Are you going to believe God and step out and take a step of faction? A see versus say moment. Have you ever had one of those? The widow in today's story had to choose between believing what she could see, almost empty jars of flour and oil, and what God says. As Pastor Clay explained in today's message, faith requires an action. Saying we have faith in God is easy, but showing it is another thing. But showing our faith through a faith action is a step of obedience. And as Pastor Clay reminded us today, God blesses obedience. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. 
Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of cross-culture worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. A new church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.